The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Echo Chamber podcast. This is Arun Sudharman. I'm here in Davos with Cathy Bloomgarden, CEO of Rudafin. Cathy, welcome. Thank you, Arun. It's great to see you here. We cross paths here every year. We do, but this is your... <laughs> Is this the first time you've been on one of our podcasts? I think so. I have a feeling yes, it yes, is. Yes. It's long overdue. So thanks for being on. Now, you are a Davos veteran. How many yes. years have you been coming here? It's my 22nd. Wow. <laughs> That's the most out of anyone I know. How come you've been coming for so long? Why do you think that uh, you're... I've, as you know, I've worked with CEOs for many, many, many years. Yeah. Um, and I first started coming... Um, with CEOs to um, help them maximize and optimize their time on the ground because this is big time commitment mm-hmm. um, and it's really important to make sure when you're here that you're taking valuable insights that you're meeting good people that are helpful for mm-hmm. shaping your thinking. So. Yeah. And do you, you still find that's the case? Do you find it more useful now, less useful? I think that uh, now that I've been here so many times, I know how to uh, do the speed dating thing really really well Um, so I find that each year it gets a little bit easier um, and I find it is extremely valuable so what what are the the big benefits for you in coming here because if we're being honest there's still a lot of um, cynicism about Davos you know especially from people um, who aren't here many in our industry as well they see the event and they see the people flying in on private mm. jets and talking about saving the world from climate change, all that kind of stuff. Um, from your perspective, why is it so important? So what you can do in the Congress Center, and I do spend most of the time in the Congress Center, um, is really have one-to-one conversations or a meeting with the managing editor of one of the papers, the major papers, and the CEO, and then have a chance to really exchange ideas and thoughts um, in a way that you can't do when you have so many people in a room in another, you know, in a, in a meeting that's set up as a course of daily activities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this is unique in the, in the sense that you can, in just a few days' time, um, meet every single managing editor of all the major uh, news organizations, mm-hmm. um, and that's unusual. Mm. So it's, it's very effective from a kind of networking perspective, and building it, relationships. Relationships, absolutely, but mm. also gaining insights mm. um, to make sure that you adapt your own thinking um, as you go along and have all of these conversations. Okay, so let's talk about the insights from this year. What has struck you as important for your work as a public relations counselor? So what's really clear um, is that there's a very well-embraced narrative that's um, been emerging over the past months, or maybe even before that, but crystallizing around stakeholder capitalism. And I think that's been, as you saw from many of the sessions, that's been a very big focus. Um, so when you think about how you make that come alive, um, there's sort of, for me, three aspects of it that are crucially important. The first is um, actually this vision. What is it? And do people really believe in it? The second is, is there a leadership that's going to stand up and talk about it um, that's going to really help um, carry it forward in a credible and authentic way? And the third is, what do you do about it? Mm-hmm. You can't just talk about it. Mm-hmm. So in those three areas, I think um, there's been a lot of discussion um, today you know, and over the past couple of days at Davos, and I think that's been a really key takeaway for me at the meeting. Of course, we continue the conversations about technology disruption 
job reskilling, but they all weave back to how we're going to manage this you know, rather large shift in terms of society, our, the way our businesses operate, the way leadership has to adapt and change, the way workforces have to get engaged. So it touches everything. And I think that's what's been somewhat of a platform under the whole stakeholder capitalism discussion. Mm. Stakeholder capitalism, presumably from your perspective, is nothing new, right? In your work, you've always had to balance mm -hmm. the interests of various stakeholders. Has it surprised you that it's taken companies so long to get to this point where they, they also are uh, now coming around to the idea that it's not just shareholders they should worry about? Um, I'm not sure that it's that they're first thinking about this now. I think it's just it's a well-articulated um, you know, statement mm. of a company's purpose. Uh, that's what you saw coming out of the business roundtable. Um, so I think while many companies, first they used to call it CSR, mm -hmm. um, but it was sort of parked under the communication function aside, to one side, but I think it's become more of an integral element in the way companies and leadership think about the company's purpose. And it's, why is it happening? Well, we talked about dis uh, technology disruption, but the talent issue is also really important. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a time of scarce talent and in, in a millennial shift mm -hmm. in terms of views, um, you really have to be responsive to your um, employee base. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another important element for why this is shifting now. Mm -hmm. And are you confident that the talk on stakeholder capitalism will is translating into action? So Arun, that's a really very important point. And I was at a session this morning where that was exactly the point that was raised. Mm -hmm. um, it was um, CEOs from Coke, from Unilever, um, Black & Decker. Um, the, the question was, what now? We, okay, we are standing up, we are um, endorsing a stakeholder capitalism perspective. It's well articulated as a narrative. Now what do we do about it? Um, and I think about it in terms of our own industry as well, in communications. And while we have in silos addressed some of these issues one by one, whether it's dealing with communities or whether it's dealing with issues as they arise, but I think one of the important must-dos right now is to actually drive the conversation. And what we've done, reshape the way people communicate with each other. People come out of this saying, we need better partnerships. Mm. We need more collaboration. Mm -hmm. But how? You know, you know, we set up an innovation lab at Ruderfin earlier this year, and we've been looking with a lot of new analytical tools at kind of the language, what kind of language are people using these days? And we don't see more coming together. And mm. we all know this. We see more you know, fractionalization. Mm -hmm. We see more value silos. Mm -hmm. We see people who really can't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And the rhetoric is, is more and more aggressive. Mm -hmm. So you, we will have to, as communicators, figure out how to use analytics in order to find where are the commonalities mm -hmm. and driving a new kind of conversation that's going to emanate from this mm -hmm. so that we really genuinely can find solutions to some of these really complex, really very difficult problems. Mm. Uh, Brad Smith just said this uh, this afternoon, um, let's just understand the, the real range of issues that comprise any debate, discussion, conflict. Mm -hmm. um, we will, really will need to look at these value silos and understand them better. Mm -hmm. And I think communication people will have to evolve the way they address and help mm -hmm. um, in some of these ways to, to find solutions, whether it's circular economy, um, whether it's diversity and inclusion, what, you know, many of the uh, contentious issues of our time where people really have very, very well-defined and, and, and very obstinate views on one side and the other. Mm -hmm. 
I actually saw, was it Brad Smith? I think it was Brad Smith, yes, at a, at a session where he said, we need rigorous targets. We need to be able to measure what mm -hmm. we're doing mm -hmm. around these uh, goals and aims and, and, and uh, commitments to you know, tackle various social issues. I mean, how much of a challenge is that? And do, do you feel like maybe it needs to be enforced by government, by laws, by regulation? So in some instances, regulation plays a role, but I think incentives also play a role in mm. culture change within companies. Um, that was another discussion we had this morning, which is that um, in some of the companies, they're, of course, embedding in the incentive programs um, values that mesh with more stakeholder engagement, more stakeholder focus as mm. part of the performance evaluation. Mm. So I think that that's critically important. It will not, Government plays a role. Um, but government alone uh, really can't um, fix some of the issues that we're discussing. Yeah, okay. Um, you talked about the import importance of, um, of employees, of talent, to this whole equation. Um, how, how big a shift is that, do you think, in the way companies are addressing some of these issues? Um, I think it's a huge issue because you have the older generation that's really used to following processes and doing um, doing their jobs in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And while they can probably amend um, part of what they do, their, their whole framework is around a, a way of doing things that actually has comes from the past. Mm -hmm. Whereas you have a younger generation that's more entrepreneurial, that wants, you know, less of a boss culture that's more um, technology um, uh, driven. And you, you tend to risk having a bifurcation between mm. these two groups. Yeah. So I think that the um, embracing of the whole employee base and helping people figure out how, how they can constantly reinvent themselves, mm. because that journey will never end. Um, so I think that what we really need to do is, is to actually look at the culture internally, look at the, um, what I called actually for WEF, I wrote a piece called de-learning, um, because I really feel that we have to help people to de-learn things. We ourselves probably don't realize that we are doing things in a certain way. We, so we can't unlearn them if we don't recognize and call them out. So I think that there is a very critical, absolutely essential um, process there. And culture then becomes a platform. You know, we're talking about platform imperative and platform economies, platforms that build value on top of it. Culture is a platform within companies for enabling companies to really innovate, to, to grow, um, to break boundaries. Um, it, so it's really critically important that we address that culture piece um, and the internal communication function for our prof for professionals like us has, is becoming, for Ruder Finn, extremely important. Yeah. What I was going to say is that's something you see for our industry as well. The, uh, the importance of de-learning. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that we tend toward communications that's similar to what we've done in past years. Mm -hmm. And analytics is, needs to be embedded in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. But again, the tools are changing. The tools, many of the tools are very new. So we will have to de-learn the way we do things, the way we measure things the way we focus our messages, the way we build communities, so all these things will have to shift. Um, but they'll be sh in a constantly shifting process. Um, and it means communications uh, individuals, again, need to really um, look at themselves and figure out how they're going to be flexible, adaptable. It's not just that we talk about others. Mm. We have to really challenge ourselves. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a difficult thing to do, I would imagine, for people if they've been in the business a long time, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but it, you're right. It's, it's, it's 
critically important. I, I like to have a reverse mentor. Mm, okay. Um, because reverse mentor helps me see what I myself can't see. It helps me be more facile with all the um, digital platforms. Um, so I think that we, everyone will find their own way um, in order to challenge themselves and to reinvent themselves. Um, but that's going to be crucial for success for the yeah. for the going forward. Okay. And what have you learned from your reverse mentor? Uh, I've learned how to use all the social channels. Okay, right. Good. <laughs> but I'm but I'm not as. Um, active as I should be, that I've yeah. learned too. <laughs> right. sure. So how many of us, you and me, Aaron, have taken a photo at every session, ri written a tweet and gotten it out all yeah. within five minutes of uh, having, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but if we had uh, colleagues with us um, whose whole mindset was uh, around the technology, uh, we would be operating in a different way. Yeah, I, I think you're right. <laughs> um, well, for the industry in general, for public relations people in general, why do you think Davos is important? So again, the um, understanding, the very, I would say it is a very deep understanding, even though the sessions are very short and m much of the discussion may not be that deep. Having these one-on-one -on -one conversations um, helps you really understand in a different way um, the perspectives of people you're working with, whether it's the uh, leadership that you're working with, um, what the, what the um, news outlets are looking for as they go through their journey of transformation and what the um, activists um, need and want um, and, and academics and the work they're doing. So having all of these voices together reshapes your own opinion. As we just talked about in terms of reinventing ourselves, We should. I always like to come here with a clean slate. When people say, what's your point of view on this? I like to listen first and then when I leave the meeting, as you and I discussed before, then I like to sit down and kind of filter through how have I changed my perspectives what have I taken away from this that I didn't realize before mm. okay tell me a little bit about some of the more esoteric things you've seen maybe stuff that isn't directly related to the communications public relations industry but bigger macro trends that we should all be aware of that you have learned about this week well I can tell you one of my favorite stories um, and again it's not related well I guess we could we can take some learnings from it uh, on my shuttle ride, you know, we all are taking yeah. shuttles all over the place. Um, I sat with a professor um, who's uh, coming from the uh, middle of the U.S. Um, who's working on the lack of green in urban cities as urbanization becomes more of a trend mm -hmm. and its impact and correlation on um, me mental health and suicides. Mm -hmm. And what she found, and the discussion she's having here, um, is actually that living in an urban environment um, increases dramatically um, the, the suicide rate. And that wow, if okay. you put greenery, mm -hmm. um, whether it's parks or on terraces or in some way expose people to um, green spaces, trees, and so on, um, you, you will reverse the trend. Mm. Um, so these oh, kinds okay. of things that you just would never think of um, yeah. are something that you're exposed to. One session I really wanted to um, go to that I didn't have a chance to because I had a conflict was why is laughter contagious? Mm. Um, and so how do you make people open up? You know, we talked about this earlier in our role as professionals mm -hmm. um, in driving conversation being so important to what we do. Mm -hmm. um, laughter um, can be a really important tool for making people open and feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to go to a session like that, which I would never have thought of either. Yeah. So there are these 
um, sessions which are a little bit off your norm yeah. um, that, that really do make you stop and think. Yeah, and that's probably one of the, the big benefits of being here. Um, what are your survival tips? Because everyone I see here is just like really strung out. You know? yeah. they're, they're, they're having multiple meetings, they're in, uh, going to events, they're networking, they're trying to make deals, they're trying to learn about the world, they're meeting journalists. If, you're, if you are a journalist, you're also filing copy and yeah, interviewing yeah. people. How do you survive this week in one piece? Or okay. do you not? Is this, you just accept um, that you're not going to be able to? No, there's two super important mm -hmm. um, survival um, tools. Yeah. Snow boots. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, people who've come here before even don't always bring snow boots. And I have wow. seen so many really? people sli yeah, sliding. And forget about having to change them the seven times that you enter the Congress Center. Um, so snow boots are super important and putting aside the sort of uh, feeling that you have to walk in and be perfectly attired, uh, keep the snow boots on. I've kept mine all week. <laughs> Me too. I, I don't do any of that. I don't understand. I don't know how you can walk around with a spare pair of shoes. Um, and the second point that's super important is forget about sleeping. Um, uh, okay. There was actually, harder. it's harder, but it's really important to psychologically get your mindset mm. around you're not going to sleep that much. Mm. I recall one, one, one Davos where people asked us to wear Fitbits and they were going to give the average hour's sleep at the end of the session and I absolutely refused to wear it because I, I really didn't want to know because I, I don't think you should count the hours. Normally we'd say, oh, I slept six hours or mm. I, between jet lag parties that end at 12 to 2 in the morning, mm. um, breakfast sessions that start at 7 where you have to be there 5 or 7. Uh, you know, you really know mm -hmm. that you are not going to sleep. Mm. So just don't, you know, put, set your mind around the the you know um, stamina that you need mm. to, to spend a week and to not sleep that much yeah. um, and also uh, eating is rather irregular <laughs> as yeah. well eating, eating is a luxury <laughs> I know it's I am really impressed by your stamina I think I, I have uh, I, I get the impression you are you're you're there for the full the long haul I'm totally yeah from <laughs> 6 a.m. till 1 2 a.m. and all five you know all five days I think you're yes, working. a lot of people exactly. fly in on Tuesday to Thursday yeah no yeah, yeah. Well, well well done <laughs> and take care I, I you know I'm, I know you can handle it but I do I, I worry a little bit that it's, <laughs> it's all too much for everyone um, but I'm hopeful it's been a productive Yeah, well, thank you, you Arun. So, it's so yeah. wonderful to sit down and think with you. I, yeah. I really appreciate it, and I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Indeed. Thanks so much, Kat. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. 